electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber at post nine of the New York Stock Exchange. Jim Cramer, there he is on the other half of your uh, screen there. Hopefully he can hear me. He's in Seattle, fresh from his exclusive interview with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. Of course, that aired on Mad Money last night. Carl has the morning off after last night's CNBC premiere of Cities of Success Nashville. There's a look at futures. We do seem to be set up for what may be a higher open uh, about a half hour from now. Let's get to our roadmap this morning. And we're going to start with Amazon. You're going to want to hear what Andy Jassy had to say to Jim about the consumer, AWS, and a lot more. Speaking of CEOs, that man right there is ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods, and he's going to join us exclusively. We're going to be talking about yesterday's big news where they outlined, of course, Exxon's plan for growth and spending and buybacks. That was all yesterday. And then we've also got another big guest towards the end of the show, homebuilder stocks hitting new highs. Well, Toll Brothers CEO Doug Yearly is going to join us. And again, as I said, later in the hour. All right, let's start off with uh, Amazon. Jim, of course, sat down with CEO Andy Jassy last night. They talked everything from AWS to AI, the consumer, the holiday season up ahead. Take a listen. Consumers are still spending. Uh, they're, they're being careful about what they spend on, and they're looking for bargains and deals wherever they can and wherever they can trade down on price, they're trying to do so. And it's really why, if you looked at uh, what we did in our holiday season, you know, it's always important to save customers money, particularly during the holidays and especially in this type of economy. And so we, you know, in our Prime Big Deals Day, which was our, our exclusive event for Prime members to kick off the holidays, we had tens of millions of deals, and it was by far the best kickoff event that we ever did. Jim, you know, uh, that's interesting, and especially coming on the back of hearing from Doug McMillan yesterday as well, the other major retailer in our country, uh, in, in terms of the consumer, what else stood out to you? Well, look, I think that the consumer, uh, I, I was surprised when the consumer starts buying, I thought they would, for the holiday season, pay up a little more. But, you know, Andy Jassy's talking about some of these uh, Chinese sites, the Xi'an, that that's doing incredibly well. The people are looking for bargains, but at the lower end, I'm wondering if the lower end isn't struggling. You put that together with what McDonald's said yesterday, lower end having trouble. There is just this cohort, David, that has been left behind. And it's important that we remember that this is the group that's been left behind by inflation. So I know a lot of people feel, and certainly in the bond pits, that inflation is under control. That is not what I felt from, uh, from Andy Jassy. Yeah, I feel like we have been hearing, certainly anecdotally, that there has been weakness, particularly at the, at the lower end, so to speak, um, uh, of income, Jim. You know, I, I wonder, right. though, does that really translate into a significant diminution in overall demand? No, I don't think so. I just think that if you're in the high end and you're trying to sell something online uh, for the holidays, I think you're going to struggle. It's not where the money is. And by the way, these Chinese sites, they're partners with Andy Jassy. But if you go to them, you'll see that the average price for what people are buying is 12 bucks. 
It's very hard to make money on a 12-buck item if you're uh, Amazon because it costs $6 per package to sell, But I, to, to bring it to you. But, David, I think Amazon's doing fabulously because they can pivot. There's, they don't have inventory. But if I were a brick-and-mortar store and I listened to that, no confidence. I have no confidence I'd be able to sell my high-end stuff. Yeah, and it's an interesting point on the likes of Shein, which, of course, we've reported on endlessly over these last few months, which will be coming public next year. And Timu, which uh, I've been talking about a lot lately, in part because of the very strong numbers. I think it was still last week that we got from Pinduoduo, PDD, sort of that new business model they have in terms of how they access consumers, how they respond so quickly to trends really just based on the desires of the consumer themselves. But, Jim, Amazon's a lot more than, uh, than about selling stuff to people. It's also, as we say endlessly, about AWS. In fact, really, so much of the profits and growth that the company has been from that incredibly important engine. Jassy discussed that with you, of course, talking about, hey, it's a $92, $2 billion business, annual revenue run rate business right now. You know, what did you pick up from him uh, in terms of beyond that? And we can take a listen to some of the sound that he that that uh, or his his thoughts that he shared about AWS. I continue to be very bullish about AWS come 2024 and beyond. I think that, um, you know, the business today is a ninety two billion dollar annual you know, revenue run rate business. 90% of the global IT spend is still on premises. If you believe that that's going to flip in the next 10 to 20 years, which I do, if we continue to have the best functionality by a large bit than we do, like we do, if you if you continue to have the largest partner ecosystem, which we do, the strongest operational performance and security as we do, and, and the customer orientation we do, I think we have a lot of growth in front of us. You agree? Yes. The contrast between retail, where there are obviously some concerns. And AWS, Amazon Web Services, is so stark. And, you know, Andy Jassy comes from that. David, AWS is doing far better than people realize. I mean, one of the takeaways I have was that if you're long Am- uh, Amazon, as my channel trust is, you've got to feel so confident because the division that people are really worried about, a- AWS, because that had been going down in terms of its rate of growth, that's wrong. It, it's, it's switched direction. It's totally inflected. A lot of it, by the way, is actual AI. And a lot of it is just the, the huge amount of, of, of hyperscale compute that is necessary if you're going to be able to do these large language uh, models. Th- this thing is a juggernaut, David. It is completely different from retail. And I, I think that, that Andy, I th- we'll be able to talk to Google, uh, Microsoft, holy cow. These guys are making money right now on all the stuff we talk about. And, and you'll see that also with AMD, with what Lisa Sue said. It's far ahead of plan. And that is what Wall Street doesn't understand. Wall Street's too jaded. This is where the money is. All right. Um, Jim, we're going to be getting a lot more, obviously, from your interview with Jassy. As you mentioned, we also do uh, have some comments from Lisa Sue as well, Tara and Christina Partsenevelis. Uh, I do, though, want to uh, get so, to some breaking news from the White House on health care. And for that, we'll go to Bertha Coombs with the latest. Bertha. Thanks, David. The Biden administration doubling down on trying to lower p- drug prices and looking to step up antitrust scrutiny in healthcare. The administration is now proposing to let HHS use what's called march-in rights on drug patents that were developed with taxpayer funding. And 
they are going to allow the HHS to use high prices as one of the reasons they can march in using a provision of the 1980 Buy-Dole Act, which was a bipartisan law which paved the way for universities to patent and commercialize discoveries made with federal funding, ranging from Google to AIDS and cancer therapies. Now, it's never been applied on the issue of price. Just last March, the National Institutes of Health denied a petition from cancer groups to use the march-in provision on extending. That's a prostate cancer treatment that lists for more than $160,000 to allow drug makers to produce it, other drug makers to produce it. That led to this review and the new proposal. But beyond march-in for drugs, the administration is also going to launch a joint DOJ FTC HHS task force to work more closely on antitrust issues and looking at consolidation in other areas like private equity and hospitals buying up physician groups. They're going to require greater transparency on ownership of healthcare entities, including more oversight of private Medicare Advantage insurance plans. Now, Joe Allen, who's a former Senate staffer for Senator Birch Bayh, who helped write up this bill, he has concerns. He told me, you know, the key for March in was whether this would be available for people to use and then to use some criteria to see if it's being made available. But just arguing that you don't like the price is not the way the statute works, he told me. David? Bertha. Thank you, Bertha Coombs. Uh, Jim, obviously the drug makers say, listen, we spend many years and take a great deal of risk investing in these therapies that when they do work, we should obviously be able to participate in having a significant uh, opportunity to profit from it over some period of time before they go off patent. What are your thoughts about this? I know you've also talked about the provisions in the IRA for some time that are going to start to take effect, I uh, believe, even starting next year as well in terms of bringing certain prices down on drugs. David, this is flabbergasting. I mean, uh, these major drug companies, which had formerly had a pretty big role uh, in our country's R&D, where we are a national leader, are so under assault. And uh, it's so visible. David, it's so visible that it's political. And I say that because antitrust, I mean, tell me which ones of these are not competing for anything. Uh, the idea that, they're, that these guys are paying, you, you have to pay them too much after you're already negotiating. Medicare's negotiating with these companies for the first time ever, David, and it's not enough. I, this administration is running roughshod over these companies. I'd be curious to see what the reaction is in the market today. But you're, listen, yeah, it is a, certainly a key issue. Um, and as I said, Jim, that the... the the pharmaceutical companies will continue to argue. I mean, we, we have to be able. We're not going to make the investment if we can't get the return, right? Simple as that. Yeah. Hey, look, that's always been the argument. Then they say they're going overseas. Whatever. All I can say is, is that it doesn't seem to matter what the drug companies do. It's You can visibly assault them, and people will say, yes, that's it. Inflation. They understand in the White House. All right, uh, Jim, stand by. After the break, uh, we're going to have an exclusive with ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods. He'll be joining me right here at Post 9, of course, talk about the company's updated corporate plan. Let's give you another look at futures. We get started with trading here at the New York Stock Exchange about 20 minutes from now. And we are looking for, at least uh, according to that board there, a somewhat higher open. More Squawk on the Street straight ahead. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. ExxonMobil out with a corporate update yesterday. Uh, some significant news lifted its buyback target to $20 billion, for example, forecasting higher production for uh, next year. This, of course, is the price of oils. Rebounded ever so slightly a bit, fell below 70 bucks a barrel just the other day. For more, I am joined right here by Darren Woods, ExxonMobil's chairman and CEO. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too, uh, And in person. Uh, I want to get, to, obviously, to a lot of the news from yesterday, but just curious. I mean, oil has come down significantly over, I don't know, last month, six weeks. Any thoughts as to what the reasons are behind that move down? I think, you know, frankly, we don't get too focused on the short-term dynamics in the marketplace. We tend to look more longer-term at the fundamentals, and I'd say, over that longer term, generally speaking, you know, it's a depletion business. We see every barrel of oil that the world produces is one less barrel available. And so that depletion business requires constant reinvestment to maintain, if not grow, the supply. And so we tend to look at that longer term. And I'd say investment into that, uh, replacing that depletion is on the light side. It has been historically, continues to be on the light side. So our view is over the longer and medium term, the market's going to remain fairly tight. Yeah, you think so? It I will think so, yeah. fairly tight. Now, where, where are we? Around 13.2 million barrels a day from yeah, the U.S.? something like that, right. Yeah, yeah. not bad, right? No, I mean, that's, when, that's when you hear that number, what, what comes into mind? We should be doing more. We've done a lot over these last few years. What is it? I think it speaks to the resiliency of the unconventional business, the, uh, the innovation that we see there. You, you know, there's actually less rigs now, uh, if you go back in time, compare similar levels of production less rigs delivering more production, which just speaks to the innovation and the creativity of the people who are in the Permian producing. And uh, my view is we're going to kind of continue to see good activity in the unconventional space. Uh, I suspect the growth will slow down, but we'll continue to see some level of growth coming out of the unconventional, which is frankly good for the world and, and good for the U.S. And, and the U.S.'s energy security. Yeah. Uh, and the Pioneer deal going to help you actually increase production? Yeah, so what we're doing in Pioneer is we've put a lot of emphasis on what ExxonMobil as a large multinational company, how we can bring the capabilities and skills that we've developed all around the world to bear in this unique uh, U.S. resource. And frankly, have developed an approach, uh, technology, uh, a way of uh, recovering that resource that gives us a big advantage. So we're taking what uh, Pioneer has to offer, which is very capable people and you know the best acreage in the Permian, combining that with our development approach and technology. We'll produce more oil at a lower cost, more environmentally uh, efficient. We're going to bring forward their 2050 net zero ambition to a 2035 net zero plan. Uh, and so we'll bring, make it a little So bit ambition up. to plan 15 years earlier. Ambition to plan 15 years earlier. We're, we've got a 2030 net zero plan for our own existing Permian production. I've been there, obviously you spent time it? with a lot of we're, your people down there. Yeah, we're on track for that. So I think, you know, we're, we're working. We'll bring that forward if we can, if we find the opportunity. So lower emissions, less environmental footprint, uh, more production at a lower cost, good for the economy. And frankly, it helps uh, U.S. energy security. So I think there's a lot to like about that. And it generates 
additional value that neither Pioneer or ourselves could do without this combination. So good for shareholders. So I think any lens you want to look at that deal, it's a win-win-win. You think it's a win-win-win? Uh, since I'm on the subject of it, and obviously a lot to cover here, though, you did get a second request for information from the antitrust authorities. Not a big surprise. No. Any concerns on your part, though, on that front? No, I think we're going to try to respond as quickly as we can to the information to look. We think it's reasonable to, to take a look at that. It's got a lot of headlines. It's large when you look at the transaction in and of itself, but in the context of the bigger market, it's a very small transaction. Our production will be less than 5% of U.S. total production. Even if you focus in on what's coming out of the Permian, we're less than 15% of production. And of course, on the global stage, which this market, as you know, is very liquid, uh, very transparent, you know, we're less than 3% of production. So I don't think there's any angle that you can look at this potential combination and find any concern, uh, concerns about uh, competition. Yeah, and when you talk about a technology upgrade in a sense, my word, not yours, but I mean, do the Pioneer guys say, hey, wait a second, we're as, 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 uh, as advanced as anyone in terms of getting getting the stuff out of the ground. What are you talking about? Well, I think, and, and they are, it's a great organization. They've got great people, very capable. So I, I, I would agree with that sentiment. They don't have the same resources that ExxonMobil has. They don't have a standalone technology organization that's worked for the last five years to try to improve the recovery of that resources. So it's, it's, not a, it's not necessarily an issue about the quality of the people or their capability, it's the resources they have available. Same with the environmental reduction. They've been very focused on an environmentally responsible production, but they don't have the same resources that ExxonMobil can bring to bear. And so I think, frankly, that's a, a broader theme for this whole uh, challenge the world faces with respect to reducing emissions. It, it's going to take scale, it's going to take large companies with the kind of resources required to make significant progress there. We have a key role to play there. We're going to do that in this unconventional space, but we're doing it in a lot of other places as well. Yeah, you are. Uh, I mean, obviously, I spent a lot of time, as you well know, with know. you and your team focusing on that. Let's talk a bit about it, because yesterday you did increase by another $3 billion, sort of your lower missions opportunities and what you're willing to spend on them. Um, it's up. When people really look back, it's up from what was originally $3 billion not right. that many years right. ago. That's now. right. Um, is this, you know... I just wonder about the return that you can get on that. Right. You know, when we look at the stock market, and I talk to investors, they are looking at free cash flow generation from a mature company in ExxonMobil. You're going into spending more on, with return parameters, it would seem, that may not lend itself as to as much free cash flow as you could otherwise generate. And I guess, how does that put you in a bind in terms of what you're really willing to spend for these higher risk and lower reward right now opportunities. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is this is a gross business. This is not like our other businesses in that this is, we are establishing brand new value chains. Today, there is no market for carbon reduction. We are establishing that market with carbon capture and storage. And I, it comes back to, frankly, the fundamental of what can we as ExxonMobil with the capabilities we've built over the last 140 years bring to this, um, this demand to lower reductions? What are, the, what are the capabilities, the technologies, the skills that we can bring and you can uniquely address it and create value? And frankly, that's what we've been focused on. So this transition from three to what is now 20 is a reflection of, frankly, a broader understanding by, by societies and markets that the solution to addressing climate change goes well beyond wind, solar, and electric vehicles. Do those have a role to play? But so do the molecule solutions, carbon capture and storage, biofuels and hydrogen. That is right in our wheelhouse. The things that we have done for the last several decades plays to that need, and we're building that business. The returns we're going to generate for the portfolio we have today 
based on the existing policy yeah. is 15% in aggregate. And you can live with that? That's or, I mean, for, we're for talking, a business that you're starting, yeah. that have the, the, the capital investment, I think that's a pretty good starting, pretty starting point. And I think that reflects, frankly, the capabilities that we're bringing to bear here. But will you get rewarded by investors for doing that? Because there's that other side of the equation that always comes at a bear here. You have to balance them both. We've had this conversation. You're absolutely right. And the point is, look, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Our, oh, if you look back in time with our history, it's always been about responding to the, the needs of society. There is a definite need, one that we, we sincerely believe in, about reducing emissions. We've got to balance that with providing affordable energy and, and products that the world needs to support modern life. We're positioning ourselves to strike that balance. We will move resources and allocate resources based on where that demand is greatest, where the, the need is most unmet, unmet, and then how quickly that transitions. So we're, we're fairly unique in the space that we've got optionality here. We can continue with our traditional business if the transition happens slower, right? or if it happens faster than what people are thinking, we've got the ability to shift resources and invest there. So Does, we've created a lot of optionality understood. here. Understood. Does faster mean when there's a higher price on carbon? It's 85 right now a ton, I think. So $85 a ton through um, government incentives. Right. That it's from, possible that could go higher. That, I mean, uh, if you're going to get to a broader, if you want broader application of carbon capture and storage, it's going to have to go higher with time. We, we view this right now as an opportunity to get started, get the technology in place, start building these things, generate some uh, efficiencies, and see if we can't find ways to lower the cost, both from a construction standpoint, but from a uh, technology evolution and scale standpoint. But David, I got to be clear, we, yeah. for this to be successful with time, we've got to move from government subsidies to a market force. And we what, see this as being a temporary so catalyst what, what, to get started. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the projections in here are the numbers, 2027, sort of everything kind of comes to that year. Right. Is, when you think about this, is that, a, is that a key moment, 2027, four, three, four years from now? No, I think for, for our base business, we set out a strategy in 2018 to double earnings and cash flow, and uh, our target is to basically make that happen by 2027. So the 2027 timeframe is very important with respect to our established businesses, and frankly, we're on track to deliver it. We've basically cut $9 billion of structural cost. And you're going to continue to cut costs. We're going to continue five more billion, uh, six more billion, so we'll get to $15 billion by 2027. Right. Clear line of sight to make that happen. We're doing it at the same time we're improving performance, better reliability, better safety. Um, we're growing earnings. Uh, we've captured $10 billion of increased earnings potential from 2019. We've got another 14 of earnings in cash flow. Uh, so a lot of, I think, uh, positive momentum there. The low carbon solutions business, you know, the time it will take to get these, first of all, get the policy in place. So the IRA still has not been translated into specific regulations. And before we can invest the money that we're talking about, uh, we've got to see that, that leg legislation get translated yep. into effective regulation. So we're waiting, we're working with the administration to help them understand what, what's required. So a lot of the discussion we had yesterday with our investors is while we have a line of sight to some profitable opportunities, there are more things that have to happen. The regulations have to be put in place. We've got to get permitting for the wells. There's a number of things that have to get finished to make sure that those investments are going to generate the returns. And right. we are pacing the development of those investments to make sure that we've got certainty around that so that we get the returns we're talking about. And what I would tell you, frankly, we're looking at it is we're going to minimize any downside here yeah. and create a lot of potential for upside. And, and then society will determine just how quickly that manifests but, And if the regulations are right. But it does occur to me, I mean, we have a presidential election less than a year away. If Donald Trump wins, you could imagine a scenario under which he undoes, undoes all of those. 
that'll be that's you know that's the decision that the voters have to make and that our country have to decide on. Our position, if you look at what we're doing and the time it's taking us to roll this out, there's very little money committed in the scheme of what we're trying to do uh, through that election decision. And so, uh, my, like I said, so ultimately, it wouldn't be that big a financial risk to you should we, all of this get undone. You might not want that to be the case, I don't though. Think, I don't think it would be good for society. I think we need, the world needs to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, we think we can make a significant contri contribution in that space. There are things that have to happen to support a business like us doing that, along with a lot of other businesses around the world. This on-again, off-again approach, these extreme positions, it's not good for, for the world, for society, for our country, or for business. And so, no, I don't want to see that happen. I want to see consistent policy, thoughtful policy, that strikes the right balance between reducing emissions and continuing to meet the needs of society, and not disadvantaging any group of people, not not uh, crashing economies, and there's ways for us to do that. I think if we have a more uh, informed and thoughtful dialogue, we can make progress on both of these fronts. It's the discussions you and I had. It is an and equation. We're yeah. trying to demonstrate it can happen. We can make money, generate returns, and reduce emissions. Understood. And we'll continue to have those. I want to end, though, on, on something else that kind of has come maybe not out of the blue for you, but for, for others, and that's Guyana. I've been there. I've seen your production, how impressive it is. It's an important component of the overall company's production at this point. Sure. There's concern that Venezuela is going to try to basically, you know, around this border dispute, invade a certain part of the country, take over a certain part of the country. What are your thoughts about this and how much risk does it present to ExxonMobil given the importance that Guyanese production has for your company? Well, I'd, I'd put it in the context of what's been happening now for, for many, many years. It, frankly, before we even started our first uh, production out in, in Guyana, which is there's been a border, a border disport, dispute. Venezuela has had the dispute. That is going through uh, the International Court of Justice. There's an arbitration process that's happening. And so it, it is a matter between nation states and the international community. It's been ongoing. My expectation is that process will be respected. Uh, that's certainly what I see. Um, Guyana has a million people. I mean, they can't defend themselves if the Venezuelans decide they want to do something. I'm not they? sure Guyana is standing on its own, to tell you the truth. I think, you know, there are a lot of... We've all seen what happens when nation sovereignties are challenged and uh, unilateral actions taken. I think the world and the outside community have grown pretty sensitive to that. So my expectation is there's more support, more broad, more broad support in the international community to make sure that the right processes are followed to resolve this dispute. From our perspective, we know what we need to do in country, develop those resources economically, environmentally uh, responsibly, and, and do what we've been contracted to do. That's what our organization is focused on. Darren, really uh, appreciate your taking time and, and, uh, and coming here as well to the sure. New York Stock Exchange. Thank you. It's good seeing you, David. It's good to see you, too. Darren Woods, uh, Chairman and CEO of ExxonMobil. Jim, I want to throw it back over to you. Just get your thoughts here. We also got some news this morning from Chevron as well in terms of their, some of their spending plans. I thought it was an amazing interview, David. I mean, here's the CEO of the, the most storied oil company in the world. Talking about balance, not talking about, listen, we got we to do a lot. We got to bring out as much oil as we can. No, he's talking about bringing out a lot of oil and then balancing it against emissions. I don't know if, if people in government realize how radical this is. He, he is a radical when it comes to oil executives. You know, David, how, how much change has this man experienced in the time that he's been at Exxon? Enormous amounts of change. Uh, and really, even over just the last three years, frankly, 
you know, and, and, and so much of the time I spent with him a year and a half ago, two years when we were doing our documentary, was really questioning the, the ambitions when it came to carbon capture. But I have to say, since then, they bought Denbury and the pipeline system. They've gotten the permits to, to a certain extent to, to, to store the carbon if, they, if, when and, if and when. And they've signed deals, Jim. So, you know, they've really done it uh, to a certain extent. Obviously, so much more to do. This is incredible. I mean, I, I, I know from our Chapel Trust, we have a position in Lindy. The biggest, the biggest carbon capture uh, development in our history is being made by Exxon. And they don't even want to brag about it. That's not their style. What they're doing is saying, listen, we're putting the money right there. You want to make a decision about whether we're good actors or not, go ahead. But I, I'm making that decision right here. After that interview in Newark I've done on Exxon and Lindy, I... You can't help but be impressed. They are the leader in this, David. They're the leader in trying to save the environment while they get out, uh, get the most oil out of the ground. Yeah, it's it's right. It's not an either or, as Darren Wood says. It's an and, uh, and it is certainly of incredible importance. Jim, we're going to get an opening bell right here in two, one, right now. There's a real time of change back at the headquarters. Here at the big board, Hilton Worldwide. They're celebrating. Their 10th listing anniversary, uh, company CEO Chris Nassetto will uh, be on uh, in a bit. And over at the NASDAQ, African Agriculture, a global food security company, celebrating its listing via SPAC. Jim, we didn't have time for a mad dash, but I'll, I'll let you do one now, obviously. <laughs> Whatever you'd like. You, you pick. We had this humanization of pets theory, okay, on Mad Money. And then we, we married that with the idea that pets were the way to be able to have the less suboptimal experience during COVID. David, I don't know the bloomers off the pet rose. I mean, Chewy, just their outlook, so disappointing. Uh, this was the great uh, way to be able to have your pet and just serve the pet like it's a human. Uh-uh. Now I feel like Chewy is just an also-ran. They changed out their CFO. I, I just think that, David, the humanization of pets went as far. They're not eating at the dinner table. We're not having them sit up with like a bow tie and having us have dinner with them. And maybe they're even kicked off the bed. I think they're off the bed. They're on the floor now. No, we would never that, do uh, that. That's over. No. Well, well no, I don't know. I, um, I got Wolfie. Wolfie, Wolfie, yeah, Wolfie is out of bed. I got more room than Scoop. I don't know. Um, well, he's, he's insane, Wolfie. In all seriousness, what is so? Uh, all right, they came in with lower numbers than was anticipated. But is there a? Uh, are we talking here about the, about consumers trading down? I, I, you know, Jim, give me a little more here. I, you I, know what I think? I, I, after spending time with Andy Jassy, who, by the way, is a quiet, quiet competitor, but I also think uh, uh, someone who likes to win at all times. Even though I tried to get that out for for something we're saying tonight, uh, Amazon is the way to go. You don't need Chewy. Amazon's prices are fabulous. They deliver it to your house. I don't understand why you need Chewy. It's a, it's, David, it may be an existential issue there. All right. Interesting. All right. That's a mad dash. Now, what else? What, where else are you thinking this morning? We really haven't gotten to a lot of the other movers or stocks, so we got a brief amount of time before we get to hear from Doug Yearly from Toll. Gemini. I have okay. been playing with Gemini. You can do it on, on Twitter. Gemini is disrespected by the analysts who say it's just a party game. Google unveiled some things yesterday that I think are exactly how the consumer can use chat. 
And you, you know what they can do? Here's what you do. When you, you, you can plug in anything and it helps you develop your thoughts. That's where I think consumers uh, are going to use this. If you want to, let's say you want to do a business, start a business, but you don't know how to do a, a paper which explains it to all the venture capitalists, I would just give it to, I, I, I would give it to Gemini. That's why the stock is flying. And people, wow. the analysts are like, yeah, this is just yeah. nothing new. Are they crazy? Yeah. This thing's electric. Um, I would encourage people to look, uh, um, uh, Sundar, Tweet it out, or whatever you call it these days, um, that six-minute demonstration of what it can do. Uh, we watched oh. it. Um, it's pretty pretty shocking in, in some ways. I mean, I, yeah. I, I guess we know this, but watching it in real time in terms of what it can recognize, how it can recognize it, how it communicates, Jim, uh, and I, I assume a lot of people who are buying the stock right now may have seen that same demonstration. Oh, they have to. Look, we're past the. I mean, look, there was a time when you would just, you know, do, you, do it like search. Give me the three best restaurants between 45th and 48th that serve Mexican food. That's over. I mean, this is like true concentrated thinking, conversation. Uh, obviously, I think in many ways, David, it, it's smarter than you are. We get that. But I would use it for inspiration. I would use it to double check things before I communicate anything. And I would use it to summarize because I think the summary is going to be the most important thing. You, you get a 90-page document, just go and say, Liam, could you tell me what's really important here? And you can speak very conversationally to Gemini, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Gemini actually gets you. Right, right. Um, AMD also, Lisa Sue, speaking, of course, of uh, what is going to power all of these large language models. It's chips, almost all from NVIDIA in the data center. But AMD is trying to move, and they're talking about a market that's moving faster than anything. Lisa Su says, quote, we've seen before, and therefore we've accelerated our roadmap, too. Thoughts about the news that we got from, uh, from AMD in terms of, of what that means? In August, Lisa Su was using a $200 billion figure over the next four years. She changed it to $400 billion. David, not many months since August. Now, the difference between NVIDIA and AMD is NVIDIA has a huge software component. AMD doesn't have that yet. The software is used for training. That's part of the main part of what you need if you're doing AI. So as much as I really applaud what Lisa Su showed yesterday, I think there's room for both, clearly, because there's just so much demand. But the software layer of NVIDIA still gives them the edge. Not the actual hardware. They, they seem almost even. But you, it's all built in when it comes to NVIDIA. You've got to write stuff for AMD. But congratulations to Lisa Su for uh, really expanding, because they need these chips and everybody, all the customers are desperate, whether it be yeah. Meta, whether well, it be that, Microsoft, well, whether it be whether, AWS. Uh, right, whether it be Amazon, which takes us back to your interview with Jassy last night uh, and his comments about generative AI. I don't know if we want to run them or you or you want to just, let's take a listen to sure, what he had no, to say. Sure, no, I don't. And then, and let, let, me get your, let, him let me get your analysis on the other side. In my opinion, almost all the generative AI, especially because all those efforts are effectively starting now, are going to be in the cloud. There isn't going to be this 90% of generative AI spend on-premises. And so I I think that um, there's going to be a huge number of, every company is going to reinvent their core customer experiences that way. Jim? Yeah, look, 90% when he says on-prem, 90% is not in the cloud. It's like the old days with your PC and a server. That, I, I, David, if you're doing that, if your company is still on-premise and not in the cloud, 
you're, you're, this is it. This is the game set match. What I saw yesterday with Gemini when I talked to the people at Amazon Web Services, there, there will be no on-prem. It just doesn't work. On-prem is a typewriter. It's a selectric, okay? And, and this is the equivalent of not a word processor, but a big leap in terms of something you can talk to. No code. No code at all. And Gemini, as well as Amazon Web Services, will be really just the only way to go. And I think people are really not understanding how quickly this is happening. Yeah. When you sign up for AWS, though, you're, you're really kind of locked into Amazon in the same way that I guess when you sign up with Google, you're going to be locked in there or with Microsoft, with Azure and or all the, all the software that comes along with it, right? It's not so easy to change, is it, Jim? Well, that's why I say that you go with Frank Slootman and Snowflake. If you're worried, you rent. You rent the cloud, and then you make a decision. Think of it just like you're not sure whether you want to own an apartment or rent an apartment. You start with a rent because you have to put a lot of money down with it when you buy. It's the same thing. And the rent the cloud option, Snowflake, is very much for real, and that's why that stock is just scorching. Um, Jim, I want to uh, I want to do a favor report uh, because I had a couple of deals that Abby's done in the last week. I know you know this. You follow the company closely. Um, the latest of which was announced after the bell yesterday. Abby acquiring a company called Cerevel Therapeutics. It's about 8.7 billion dollars in cash. 8.4 billion when you actually uh, take out the cash already on hand. 45 bucks a share. You can see the move in the in the aforementioned company. This is one week after they did another large deal, over $10 billion, when they bought Immunogen. Um, they're busy uh, at AbbVie. Uh, and there's a couple of interesting uh, things to note here. First, let me just give you a little background, because that in and of itself is somewhat interesting. Pfizer-owned uh, basically decided back in 2018 that, you know what, we no longer want to uh, pursue neuroscience. And so we're going to sell our neuroscience business. I, I don't know what they were burning a year, maybe 400 million bucks in terms of the research and development they were spending on it. So obviously you can imagine taking that out helps things a little bit. So they sold it for a relatively small sum to uh, Bain. I think it was maybe 350, 400 million. I have to check, so don't hold me to that number. Um, they retained 25 percent, Pfizer did. So Bain bought this neuroscience business from Pfizer. And then during the SPAC craze early on, uh, in the summer of 2020, they took it public through a SPAC, led by Perceptive. Um, I kind of remember it. I've looked back at it. It's one of the successful SPACs. And as our viewers well know, there aren't that many successful SPACs. This is one of them. Bain retained 35%. That's what they own today as of the announcement of this deal. Pfizer now 15%, obviously both having been diluted down a bit. Uh, and that's where we sit with Cerebell up and AbbVie saying, hey, you know what? We want to take a real shot here when it comes to uh, this robust neuroscience pipeline of what they call multiple clinical stage and preclinical candidates for things such as schizophrenia, Parkinson's, and mood disorders. Now, the price, interestingly, is a 73% premium to the stock before this week. Stock did something weird this week. It went up a lot on no news. There was no reports, no rumors. Well, maybe there were rumors. Take a look at that move. And so the premium right now is far from what it was even as little as a week ago, given that enormous move up. By the way, yesterday I was hearing there were actually a lot of put buyers who believed this move up was unwarranted. Well, they've been disappointed by the deal itself. Um, 
should also note that on Immunogen, there was also some unusual options activity, if I recall. So both of these AbbVie deals, seems like somebody kind of knew something unclear what, but in this case, the move up in the stock had the effect of really diminishing what was a 73% premium that had been negotiated based on the unaffected stock price. But when we say that, usually we mean uh, before there was news. There was nothing that I'm aware of about Cerebell out there in terms of why it would have moved up so much. Jim, as you know, uh, they've got the Umira Cliff coming at AbbVie. Um, and interestingly, they chose to make a purchase here prior to getting a lot of important data. I believe there are as many as six data reads coming next year on their product portfolio uh, at Surgeon and uh, Cerevel, excuse me. Uh, and so it's something of a risk for AbbVie, but obviously, given the size, they can do it. It's a $260 billion well, market value company. Uh, David, I got to tell you, my, my hat's off to them. They want to try Cerevel, but we're talking about schizophrenia talking about Parkinson's, we are talking neuro is so hard. There's a great book, a bestseller book called Best Minds. Uh, it's a tragic story about someone who has schizophrenia. David, no one succeeded in schizophrenia. It's just been a mood disorder. Everything is, has, has pretty much failed in the last 50 years. No one really knows what to do. If they can make this cerebral work, well, good luck, because it's just been such a tragedy. And there's the drugs for schizophrenia are awful. And maybe they have something. Immunogen, more target, you know, targeted anti-cancer, I get that. But this is a stretch and a reach. And I just think it tells you how much AbbVie needs, is desperate to try to diversify away from what it currently has. Right. Well, they've got that cliff coming for Umira, right? So, Umira. Uh, yeah. Is it Umira? I always say it wrong. I hope that this works, David. But uh, you, it is so describing. Mean, I do a lot of work. I did work with the Brain Foundation, with Migraine Foundation. Not, not, there, there's, I don't want to say hard. there's no hope. I'm it's saying hard. that it is the toughest, toughest thing to crack. Anything neuro is tough to crack. Yeah, it, it is hard. Obviously, last week's uh, acquisition by AbbVie was oncology. Uh, and again, I'm told they did approach here. They were interested. They were willing to take the shot. And they've got, uh, they've got this company, obviously, or not close the deal, but certainly... Um, Certainly going to be buying it, would appear, along with Immunogen. All right, Jim, uh, we're going to move on yeah. here to home builders. Uh, and those stocks, of course, as our viewers know, hitting new highs. The S&P Home Builders ETF, for example, hitting its first closing record since 2021. This, of course, is Toll Brothers posted a beat on the top and bottom lines. That was this week. Talking about strong demand in the fourth quarter. We talked about it a bit yesterday. Doug, yep, Doug Yearly, Toll Brothers chairman and CEO, joins us exclusively. He's right next to me here at Post 9. But, Jim, I'm going to let you start this off with Mr. Yearly. Okay, so, Doug, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure, uh, Jim. Nice to see you. Fast, all right, so, Doug, fastest increase in uh, mortgage prices. I can't believe how much interest went up. Uh, obviously, homes now over a million dollars, and yet you had record numbers. Your gross margins are terrific. The consumer did not pull back. How is this possible? Yeah, Jim, we've had two record years in a row now uh, in the face of rate, rates that have been six to eight percent. You know, two years ago, December of 21, we had a three percent mortgage rate. And six weeks ago, it broke through eight to eight and a quarter. Thankfully, in the last six weeks, we're back down to seven and a quarter, so things are looking good. But the, 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 the dynamics are really, really strong. Historically, about 10% of the homes in this country are sold as new homes, 90% are resales. But with the people that own a home locked into a three to 4% rate, 
The resale market is completely frozen. It's at historic, tight, low levels. And now 30% of the homes in this country that are sold are new. So there's a migration to new because we have the homes. They're energy efficient. The architecture is great. We can buy down mortgage rates. And so we're really benefiting. You know, the old trade was when rates go up, sell the builders. And that has just not been the case. And so the industry has really benefited. And I'm really proud of where Toll Brothers is positioned. Well, you should be. I think, I, I tell you, the thing I'm most impressed about, you, you gave a forecast that is good just by nature. 65% you, you, in backlog, you've got uh, homes built to suit. And what is it, 26% paid all cash for, for a million dollar home? Yeah, historically it's been 20% for us. Our, our buyers are more affluent because our average house is about a million dollars. And right now it's jumped up to 26%. And those that get a mortgage, the loan to value ratio is 69%. They're putting 31% down and only mortgaging 69%. So our, our buyer is financially very sound. They're upwardly mobile. And even in the face of these higher rates, we have ourselves a really good market. Well, I am blown away, and you mentioned something that's really important for the stock. Typically right now, the home builders would be the last stocks that you want to own. But I see a buyer, a buyer that bought 18.9 million shares, spent $1.3 billion, bought, bought, put down what, $400 million in debt that you bought back. Doug, this is the opposite of what I'm used to home builders seeing, which is you know, overdoing it, putting up too many houses, and then getting killed. This is a, uh, I'm not saying Tobo this wasn't conservative, you've always been great, but it's shocking how much you're buying back and how much you believe in your company. Jim, I'll tell you, the, the industry has changed dramatically. Uh, the way these companies are now being run, we are so focused on returns. We are keeping land off our balance sheets. We're optioning land. We're, we're returning uh, cash to shareholders. You know, even with the run the Toll Brothers has had, we are trading at seven times earnings, 1.3 times book. Uh, the, the, there's a runway out in front of us, and this whole industry, uh, I said it yesterday on the call, uh, I got on a soapbox for a minute. You know, this industry really should be looked at hard for a re-rating because these companies are structurally run differently. And for us to have the business we're having in the face of these rates, yeah, I'm just super proud of not just Toll Brothers, but I'm super proud of how this group is now being run, and we just deserve more respect. All right, so uh, I'll ask that. Structurally run differently means what then? So uh, number one is the capital efficiency. Historically, builders bought a lot of land. We loaded our balance sheet with land. We weren't as focused on whether we owned the land or we optioned it. And now you find these companies that, you know, we have a couple of years supply of land that we own. The balance is optioned. So we're able to use more capital on more deals and have it all tied up in one deal, just on how we're structuring with land banking, joint ventures, getting option terms from our land sellers. And, and so, so that, I think, is the number one way it's changed. But fundamentally within the companies, the operations, how we're running, the SG&A leverage that we're seeing, mm -hmm. the efficiency of these homes that we're building, 
Um, there's just been a fundamental change in the last well, decade. All right, so home sales gross margin was 27.5%. Uh, That's for the fourth quarter. I think yep. full year was a bit below that. Is that sustainable, though, 27.5%? It is. It is. For, for a couple of quarters now, we're faced with some of the sales we had in the second half of 22 when the market was much slower and we had to incentivize a little bit more. So there'll be a very, very small dip for just a little window here as those homes deliver. But longer term, we think we're able to sustain margins in that range. Jim's got a final question for you. Doug, Denver, Boise, Southern California, Texas, Mid-Atlantic, Eastern Seaboard, these were all quoted as being hot. That's an incredible part of the country. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, it really is, Jim. You know, everyone talked about the West through COVID. Our hottest corridor has been Atlanta up to Boston, the eastern seaboard. We're still doing really well in other areas, but it's, a, it's nationwide. We're in 24 states, 60 markets, and there are very, very few that I am worried about. Well, I got to tell you, Doug, I'm really proud of you. I've known the company, obviously. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from about 10 minutes from where, where you are, as you know. Yes. And yes, you're right to congratulate the entire industry. But Toll Brothers, real star, and thank you for coming on Squawking Street. Thanks, Jim. My pleasure. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's uh, give you a quick look at the bond market before we head to break. And for that, of course, we will check out how treasuries are faring this morning. Not unimportant, of course, to our last guest's uh, business as well. You can take a look at the 10-year. Creeping up a little bit in yield, 4.138. There's twos over tens. Gives you a sense there in terms of the spread. But we are, man, it's not that long ago we were pushing 5%. Hard to believe. Uh, yields, uh, well, there you have it. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. Come back right after this. Get stopped trading from Jim. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Jim, are you, are you coming back ever, or are you just going to stay in Seattle? I'll be there tomorrow. Come on, you know that. Oh, I don't good. like to sleep Thursdays either. It, I used, you know, it, when you get older, Dave, you just stop sleeping entirely. Uh, uh, I've noticed I've got that. Some shows, <laughs> some, <laughs> tonight, I, I, look, you got to be excited. I've got T-Mobile, Mike Sievert, who is uh, somebody who's actually doing well in the communications business. We don't talk about how badly everybody's doing. And then part two, Amazon. Uh, with, with Andy Jassy, much more personal look at Amazon and what it means to all of us. Awesome. And great job. And I'm looking forward to you being Thank back you. and not sleeping at all. Because those are the best days Same. when you haven't had any sleep. All right. All right. Can't wait we'll, to see you. We'll, uh, we'll take a Thank quick you. break here. Check the markets for you, of course, uh, as we are an hour into the trading day. We've got the S&P up almost half a percent. We're back right after this. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant 
its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.